Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Tom Salemi. You are listening to the OIS Podcast. Very happy to have you with us. We're going to zoom out uh, from the innovation landscape a bit and look at the public markets. Uh, specifically, we're going to be talking with uh, two of our go-to analysts, uh, David Nierengarden of uh, Wedbush and uh, Lev Abraham of City. And uh, we're going to talk about a few things. Uh, the IPO market, is such as it is, um, is... Uh, is avail- it's open. Uh, we saw ClearSide go out. It, it wasn't a strong IPO, but it did, did go out. And uh, we'll talk about the benefits of that in this podcast. And we'll talk to ClearSide, actually, in a couple of weeks. So uh, stay tuned for that. But we'll talk about what the opportunities are for IPOs, uh, what impact the, uh, the, the, this election season is having on the IPO season. I don't even know how to characterize it but what 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 impact is this particular election as as unusual as it is what impact is that having on the markets and on ipos we'll also take a look a bit at, at the strategics uh, a lot of uh, speculation up at that level particularly about Bausch and Lomb and Valiant and we'll talk with uh, David and Liev about that and they'll offer their uh, whatever answers they can provide uh, on those issues and uh, finally, just uh, talking a bit about the uh, economy in general and the market cycles in general. So hope you enjoy these conversations. We'll split them up into two different conversations with uh, David Nierengarden and Leah Abraham. All right, David Nierengarden, welcome back to the OIS podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy to have you back. We, we spoke uh, six months ago or so. It was actually just before... Uh, OIS at AAO to talk about market cycles and where ophthalmology was uh, in uh, the public markets where in, in IPOs and in financings. And uh, a lot has actually happened uh, since then, obviously, economically, uh, obviously seen a lot going on on the uh, the biz dev front as well between Allergan and Pfizer happening and then the not happening. So uh, but first, let's just kind of center in on on IPOs and we can get into those larger sort of macro events later on. We had ClearSide. We wrote about them earlier this year in the Eye Innovation. Uh, they managed to go public, uh, and the quiet period just expired this week. I know you don't cover the company, so you can't really speak to the specifics of, of the company and its news, but what did their IPO and its performance uh, say about uh, the, the IPO market in general for biotechs and for ophthalmology? Yeah, I, I think... Um ClearSide's experience, along with uh, several other IPOs that have come out recently, have you know, confirmed you know, some of the comments I've made before and, and will make again is that um, you know, almost independent of market cycles, companies with, with clinical data can go public. Um, there will be differences in valuation, of course, with um, software markets like we're experiencing right now, um, you know, seeing clinical uh, stage companies probably come out at a lower valuation than they were used to um, previously, but um, there are still investors who are willing to invest and, and be a part of that IPO um, process. Um, we are definitely seeing fewer IPOs recently, not surprisingly with the markets. And, you know, again, I think of the majority of um, the potential IPOs that have fallen off or, or are not, um, or maybe um, postponing their plans are earlier stage and preclinical companies that 
just, you know, are, are probably um, retooling and um, pushing forward to get actual clinical data to support uh, an IPO when they can. Is an IPO, when you go out uh, at half of what you were initially hoping to go out, is that still count as a win? I know in the past we've seen companies go out, particularly on med device side, where they've gone out and then just have sort of uh, suffered from a, a lack of cover- coverage or, or attention. And the IPO, while well, well, positive thing, wasn't necessarily the, the, the cure-all that they were hoping in terms of financing. It is going out uh, at a range that ClearSide went out, is, is that still a positive for the company? Or for a company, I think it. Yeah, I think usually it is, or almost actually, I would say almost always it is still a positive for the company, and and the main reason is liquidity and the um, availability of additional options for financing. Um, you know, investors put a significant premium on having an investment that they can buy or sell or trade even intraday, um, and that yeah, attracts a lot more investors um, into you know invest in the company into the IPO. Um, you know, you have other financing options available um, from follow-ons to, you know, convertible debt to, um, you know, pipes and other financing vehicles that are um, open now to um, a company that is public versus a private company that has a really, you know, relatively small universe of venture capital and private investors that both are able um, and willing to invest. And that's not only a smaller number of investors, investors, but a smaller pool of capital um, is available to the company. So net-net, I, I would say, going public um, from a financial standpoint for the company in terms of being able to continue to raise capital and, and such in the future is a positive event. Um, you know, of course, investors may, uh, their their returns may vary, as, as the saying goes. <laughs> um, but from, from the corporate point of view, it's, uh, I, I think it is important and it is a net positive for them um, from a corporation and surviving as a corporation standpoint. How do you see the PACI IPO filings going uh, forward? Are we, uh, we've seen a, a, several companies, not just in ophthalmology, but in biotech, file. Uh, a few went out with, I think, strong results. A lot of sort of sputtered. Some some didn't go out at all. Are we um, on a downward slide? Are we, gonna pl- are we plateauing? Do you see any reason to believe that we're going to be seeing an uptick in IPO filings and successful IPOs happen, if not over the summer, perhaps in, in September when things generally reboot again? Yeah, I, I think that the um, IPOs, I, I think it's next to impossible to see, um, you know, the record-setting years that, you know, that we saw recently this year, just just from a physical possibility standpoint. Um, so, you know, the, the real question is, is you know, what, what degree um, do we come back? What degree, you know, are future IPOs, um, you know, set up and, and you know, um, staged? I would say uh, the, you know, normally we would see a, a rebooting in fall. I think that's going to be less of a reboot um, because of the election uh, this year and the uncertainty around that um, always affects uh, investors' willingness to um, invest in an IPO. And I think that, um, so therefore, you know, the second half of the year might be a little bit more muted than we've seen in past years. I do think um, that will kind of push things into uh, perhaps a little bit bigger bumper uh, crop or bump of a crop in early 17 in terms of IPOs. Um, You know, again, as the election recedes, you get past the holidays, 
uh, we usually see quite a few IPOs um, file in that January time frame, and I think we'll see a little bit more because there'll be some who chose um, or were unable to go out in the um, around the election season. Yeah, the, that's an interesting point. I mean, the, the elections always um, introduce some sort of uh, some level of uncertainty. But this year, and, and maybe we say this every election season, I don't think so. This year would seem to be one where the uncertainty is just off the chart and then sort of add the uh, the whole Brexit news of, of last week. Uh, is it, are, are all these uh, local political and geopolitical events, are they really having a larger impact on markets uh, than they have in the past by, by, your, your, by your point of view? Well, I think the... Um you know the, the the real there are the real reasons for the biotech slide um, in the second half of fifteen and early uh, sixteen, and those were you know both economic and political. You had the noise around drug pricing, and you had um, fears of a recession, an imminent recession. Um, the fears of the recession kind of receded, and you saw a recovery in the market. The political risk uh, remained. Now I think you have an additional um, economic risk. And, you know, the political risk is still there and becoming, you know, ever closer. I think the political risk to um, this year's election is heightened um, mainly because there are two, you know, relatively newer you know, um, candidates who haven't run before, right? I mean, this is a um, not a re-election uh, campaign for, for either party. So uh, that will... Uh, that just adds to the uncertainty that we we didn't really see as much of, I would say, in 2012, for example. No, it's it's definitely our, our interesting times. How, economically, though, how how are we? Uh, how are we looking? Last time we talked, we talked about the yield curve and its in, its ability to be an indicator of what might come. How's it How's it looking? Have you uh, been checking up on that lately? Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, flattened uh, dramatically <laughs> um, over the past. Uh, six to eight months, which is a warning sign. Um, the you know long-term yields have have dropped um, quite a bit. Uh, short-term yields ticked up a bit with the Fed raising the short-term rates. Um, you know, contributing to that narrowing of a spread. Um, you know, it hasn't inverted yet, which is you know presaged every recession of the you know in living memory. Um, but they, um, but you know, again with the artificially low short-term rates, I'm. Um, I think a, a narrowing could be as, as almost as good as an inversion, um, you know, this time around. Uh, I don't think we're quite in that danger zone because we do have the um, experience of Japan over the past 20 years having um, zero to negative interest rates, and um, they would slide into recession um, over the past 20 years when the spread dropped um, to, say, about 0.4, and, and I believe in the U.S. we're uh, we're hovering around 0.8. Um, so, you know, the spread is, is still, um, positive and in our favor, you know, for the time being, but it's, it's definitely worrisome and, and it's something that, um, bears continued watching certainly. And, and again, just stepping back for a second, um, you know, I, I think no matter how you look at it, uh, we're definitely in the, you know, late innings of an economic expansion. Um, it's long by any measure, um, any historical measure. And, uh, you know, I don't believe any politician or economist who says we've repealed the business cycle and we'll have a recession at, at some point. Um, probably, I don't want to say sooner, like in the next 12 months, but it's, it's definitely um, a possibility in the next year or two or three um, versus, you know, the beginning of an expansion where you're, you know, 
have at least five years of time horizon, you know, for the next recession, most mm-hmm. likely. So. And, and that's, uh, that, that outcome is independent of, uh, any political outcomes? I mean, I'm not asking for an endorsement of one candidate or the other, but does the the winner in November does that do they change the uh, the 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 length of I guess the change your projections or, or at all? You know, I, um, no, I, I I think you know the, the president and and you know government policy certainly have an effect, um, but it's usually a matter of degree and not entirely of direction. So. Uh, you know, it could accelerate or decelerate it by a little bit, but again, you know, we'll we'll have a, you know, we'll have a recession. It's just a matter of, of when, not if. And you know, maybe it would be sooner with one and and a little bit later with the other. But um, you know, it's uh, it'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh, but uh, I guess it's uh, it's certainly something that we'll be uh, following up on. Just zooming in back to ophthalmology. Yep. I mean, it's been an interesting six months. Uh, at the at the top of this talk, I talked about the Pfizer allergen happening, the not happening. Uh, we've seen uh, Valiance uh, going through its uh, its issues and discussions as to whether or not Bosch and Lam will be spun out of that or acquired by somebody else. Uh, what what do you what's your take on on these these two larger companies and, and the and the state of ophthalmology in general in terms of the strategic players in here? Are are, are, are is it is it uh, Taking Pfizer first or Allegan first is the outcome. The outcome of that non-deal uh, has it been generally you think a, a positive for ophthalmology to to have a company like Allegan remain independent and uh, to have its focus be so heavy on ophthalmology. Yeah, it's definitely a positive. You have an obvious um, candidate to buy um, smaller biotech companies, and yeah, I think underappreciated is when you have a smaller or mid-sized player like Allergan, they can make smaller acquisitions necessarily of, you know, earlier stage or, or smaller cap biotech companies um, and have that work, you know, for them. Whereas a, a Pfizer, you know, they can buy a hundred million biotech company, obviously, you know, tomorrow, um, but it's not going to move the needle for them. So there's a, a bit less of a motivation for them to, you know, acquire the small to mid cap biotech companies that are really, you know, the vast majority of the universe. So, I think having more mid-cap or um, you know mid-size pharma companies like that are are good for um, the potential for smaller um, biotech companies to get acquired. There's just more of them. There's more opportunities to to be acquired. And and Valiant and, and Bausch and Lomb is is a is removing Bausch and Lomb from Valiant. Would that be a positive for ophthalmology, or is it too soon to say? Yeah, I think that would be a huge positive. Um, I, I I've um, I've, I've joked uh, with, with investors before that um, if Valiant were to go bankrupt tomorrow um, or, you know, broken up tomorrow, that would be um, a net positive for the industry, quite honestly. I think the, you know, the negative publicity and everything else with Valiant has, has definitely weighed on biotech in general, and it's, it's unfortunate. And perhaps, you know, the sooner that issue goes away, the better for, for again, for smaller cap companies and, and biotech in general. All right. Well, interesting thoughts and uh, appreciate the opportunity to catch up with you and uh, to hear your uh, your outlook as, as as concerning as it may be. It's uh, it's something that obviously impacts all of us. So thanks for taking a few minutes today. Sure. No problems. Have a good one. OK, well, that's our interview with David Nierengarten. Hope you enjoyed that one. Uh, in this break, I just want to remind you, we're coming up on OIS at ASRS. Uh, just go to OIS.net. We're beginning to put the agenda up there. We'll be uh, announcing speakers and uh, and other details 
up on the OIS.net website. Uh, we'll have some content coming out in the coming weeks uh, about the conference, so uh, keep an eye out for that. And uh, we hope to see you on August 8th in San Francisco. Now we'll talk to uh, Liev Abraham. Uh, we've talked to Liev before specifically about, well, about a lot of things, but we've talked to her about Allegan in the past. Uh, this time we'll talk a bit about the IPO market, uh, what she sees, why she's hopeful that things might improve. And uh, also we'll, uh, we'll discuss you know, what Allegan has done since its deal with Pfizer did not happen. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with uh, Liev Abraham of City. All right, Liev Abraham, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, thanks, John. Great to, great to be with you. Always, always a pleasure to talk to you. I uh, just wanted to touch base on, on a few things. Where, as we're t- looking at the ophthalmology market, uh, I, I know you don't cover ClearSide, but uh, you know it did. It was able to go public, albeit uh, at a reduced uh, price that it was initially seeking. But more broadly, zooming out, what is your assessment of the uh, opportunities for IPOs? In ophthalmology, but I, I suppose you have to cover biotech in general because it's hard to just focus on on the single sector. Um, sure. Well, um, at the moment, the uh, IPO environment is tough, and um, that's not just ophthalmology related. It's uh, it's not only biotech related. It's generally speaking, the, um, the the market for primary financing is is tough. But I would say, um, you know, taking a, a bit of a longer term view. Um, innovation is always a good thing, and there's always an appetite um, over time uh, for innovation. So um, what we are seeing in ophthalmology, broadly speaking, is innovation continues to be robust. There's, there's a lot going on, um, both in terms of uh, public companies and in terms of private companies. And, um, you know, the market is cyclical, and um, as long as there are good ideas out there, the, the financing, um, both public and private, will be there over time. Do you have a sense, I think electioneers always introduce some, infuse some uncertainty into the markets. This is a particularly interesting uh, yeah. this, uh, election season. Is it, uh, will it have any greater impact on uh, the markets? Will it make it less likely that the window might open again up in September? Or is it, is it just white, new, white noise in the background as far as investors go? Um, look, that's a that's a great question. I think it, I think to a certain extent it determines it uh, it is uh, it will be determined by the outcome of the election. Um, the election, generally speaking, I think will be some kind of clearing event. But based on the outcome of the election, we'll know what the policies of the uh, of the uh, new president and the new administration um, will be. Um, I don't see it having that much of an effect on um, let's say on 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 IPOs on on generally on on innovation ophthalmology. It it will have some some impact on the hot topic. Um, that that is that has been in the in the um, public domain of late and that is uh, on on drug pricing um but that's a, i think that's a, a separate uh, a separate topic and just finally looking at the larger strategics we've talked a few times about uh, Allergan when it was going to be about Pfizer than when it wasn't uh what has happened with Allergan since and uh do you see any significant changes happening at the uh, at the strategic level where i know you don't cover Bausch and Lomb, but we've uh, you know there's there's news as to whether or not it's going to remain part of Valiant. What do you see Allergan doing going forward? And, and more broadly, do you see any other changes in the, in the strategic landscape in ophthalmology? 
Well, the good news is that um, it's really back to business for Allegan. It was back to business um, very quickly. Um, the sales growth of the company remains strong, including in its uh, ophthalmology, uh, key opth- ophthalmology franchises, particularly Eurostasis. And it's made strides in um, in its pipeline and in its ophthalmology pipeline as well since um, uh, since the Pfizer deal broke. So we've seen um, Oculi being uh, submitted for approval, uh, the glaucoma uh, stent um, uh, Zen 45 uh, submitted for approval. We we're expecting approval of um, uh, the Restasis uh, multi-dose formulation in the second half of the year, and enrollment for um, DARPEN continues to progress well, um, and the company continues to pursue um, the business development opportunities, will, which will uh, focus, um, among others, on ophthalmology, which is one of its core therapeutic areas. So the company is um, making is, is continuing on its path of um, strong growth and focusing on its uh, core therapeutic areas, including um, ophthalmology. Uh, generally speaking, in the market, there is there is fragmentation. There is room for um, for consolidation. And Allegan, um, given its strong balance sheet, given um, uh, given that it will be receiving a, a bundle of cash from Teva over the very near term, um, uh, will be well positioned to be a consolidator in the market. And that's um, um, uh, I think that's, that's that's a good thing for the company. Is there any indication that uh, B&L could be part of those plans? Um, I think I'll stay away from answering that question given uh, <laughs> I, I just I don't cover value. So I, c- I have one. to try. Okay, well, great. Yeah, no, you have to try and I, uh, you know, I, I'd love to answer but stick within the rules. <laughs> well, we'll have to wait and see and, and hopefully have you back when that deal does or, or doesn't happen. Thanks for the time, Leah. Okay, thanks very much, Tom. Thanks again, David Neergarden and Leah Abraham. It's always a pleasure to have you both on the podcast and, and have you share your thoughts of uh, the public markets. And uh, thanks, of course, to our listeners, you all, for joining us on the OIS podcast. Tune in next week. We'll uh, get back to some tales of innovation. We've got a, a great interview lined up with one of our new co-chairs uh, for OIS at ASRS. Uh, so well, uh, I'll save the... Uh, the details for next week, but I hope you join us for that one. And you, of course, should join us at OIS at ASRS. It's on August 8th. Just go to OIS.net, register for the upcoming OIS at ASRS, and we will see you in San Francisco. <laughs>